tonight, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're only going to do two verses today. There will be a few others that we look at out of Romans 6, but uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to really take this down to a, a fiber optic level as we go through this because of the necessity of it. If you would, can we stand and read in honor of God and His Word, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Question mark. Lord, it's to this question mark that we have here about the question of sin in the Christian's life. Should we sin that we may get more grace? Or how shall we who have died to sin positionally in Christ continue to live in it? Continue to abide in it? Continue to tolerate it? To allow it quarter in our heart to give it passage. God, please show us today the implications of what the death of Jesus meant as that's applied to us upon faith in Him when we died in Christ too. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the next foreseeable future, going to the, the, the doctrine of sanctification as it's found in Romans chapter 6 through 8. Why? And I, I, may, I may address the question of why for a little while in case we have new people come in. Well, because of this, we have a problem. We have a problem in the American church. We actually have a problem in the Western church. And what I mean by the Western church, I mean basically all of the, the, uh, uh, the European nations, the uh, uh, North America, Canada, um, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere and anywhere that at one time where the great bastions of Christianity were preached from, have now and are quickly eroding into a, a cesspool of secularism. This is, this is a huge problem. You don't find this same problem in China and among the Christians. You don't find it in India among the church. You don't find this in North Africa, Syria, You don't find this in the Middle Eastern nations where the Christian church is. You don't find this same problem. The problem is a failure of 21st century Western Christians to understand and apply the doctrine of sanctification to personal holiness in their lives. The result is a weak and lethargic church with no power, no passion, and an ever-increasing conformity to the world around them. These are heavy things to to say. It's a heavy topic to undertake. But look around you. We 
we have a complete blurring of the lines when it comes to our biblical worldview in the church today along the lines of political activism. I've ta- I talk often about the liberal side of that with the embracing of homosexuality and transgenderism and gender dysphoria and all kinds of other schemes and isms and not, to, not the least of which has its roots in believing the Bible is not inerrant, that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, that there are other ways to heaven. This is all coming from that side of, of liberal theology and Christianity. But there's also a new one that's more permissible and I think actually relates stronger to our problems in sanctification in Christianity. And that's what I would call conservative activism, where we begin to think that to be a Republican is to be Christian. To have voted for Trump is to be in Christ. To think that the saving grace that our nation needs is a red wave come November. And inadvertently, this is tolerated very well in the church and its conversations. But do you see the evil of it? Now, hey, I, I, I hope for something to change in November too. Okay? Because I'm going to have to start driving that moped all the time. Okay? And, and, and it's wet outside. And you can't look cool on a moped. I don't care who you are. Okay? You just, you just can't. So, you could put Thor on that thing and it would not, that would be the end of his career, okay? But I know that even if there's a red, a red wave hit, unless there is a national turning to God and a, and a national repenting of sin, and a, and a putting away of this demonic, hellish, destructive ideology that's bound up in what seems to be nothing more than a fascination with the human body and perverted means. A, a political change isn't going to help. I read that some Republican something from Indiana wrote up a, a hope that if there is a change, he hopes to see an emphasis put back on the family, and I'm all for that. But I read his article, and while good, there was no mention of God. There was no mention of the need for morality in that sense of an, as an absolute safeguard against these things. So, the way I relate that is, How can you have recovery that lasts without something bigger than yourself holding you down and safeguarding you from going back? It's only to be found in the Bible. It's only to be found in Christ alone. And and, and this is not a new thing. Our country was established this way. While the country has never been what I would call a solidly Christian nation, 
It has certainly had the underpinnings and fabric of it. Our, docu- our documents bear that out. Hard. The fact that there are all these old churches and all the old communities bear that out. Hard. The fact of historians that have visited the country back at the height of her expansion bears it out. Hard. That this truly was a country at one time that did respect and embrace for, for the preserving power in nature God's oversight over it. The family. The, the, the fundamental principles of, of truth. Because, because there was a consciousness of, of God overall. And that's, that's missing now. And so as a result, if that goes out, it goes out. My, my concern, to narrow that down then, is in our own Christian life. So I, I can't change anything politically except for voting. And then I wonder about that because, you know. But that's what I can do on that. So that's, that's pretty simple. But I, I'm, concerned about our, I'm concerned about us as believing Christians. If you're here and you, and you claim Christ as your own. I'm concerned about that fragrance that we put off. I'm concerned about the, the consistent representation that we give. Or maybe don't give. That Christ is real and effective. We are, in our everyday lives, examples of the redeeming strength of Jesus. And if on one hand we say that Jesus saves, and we live like someone who's not saved, and we claim Jesus saves, we lose our credibility. And you probably all know about the recent bomb that went off in the Southern Baptist Convention with the uh, report about the over 400 washed-under-the-table sexual abuses that happened? Oh, yeah. Lots of big names. Of course, you remember Ravi Zacharias? We have people coming out of the woodwork in some of these big megachurches like Elevation and others that are completely embracing the gay and lesbian lifestyle. So, there is a huge... Breakdown in the consistent proclamation lived out through our lives of Jesus alone for sufficiency of salvation and and worldview. That's happening. Well, again, what can we do? Well, we can just try to take our Christian life very serious. And I feel like it's really easy to not take it very serious where we live right now. I would say right, right now. I do believe it was, uh, where's Beirut? Where's Beirut? Huh? Lebanon. Lebanon, thank you. Man. Lebanon, before the takeover back in the, I think it was in the 80s, maybe the late 70s, was actually a burgeoning democracy Christianity was strong there. The Christians were very comfortable there. 
People went there that were Christians to escape the near places they were living to, to be free and safe and exercise their faith. And then overnight, they went underground. And then it was just downhill from there. And you know what it is now. So don't say it can't happen. We're seeing all kinds of things happening now. But what can we do? That's what this is about. To understand then sanctification as the uh, um, locus classicus of teaching on Romans 6 through 8. We got to deal with death. Let's read again Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Paul is responding to the accusations from those people who were saying, it sounds like Paul in Romans chapter 1 through 5, that you're making a case that the more we sin, the more grace we get, so we ought to just sin more. Right? And he's saying, no. (laughs) No, 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 emphatically. I like what Robert Mounts has to say on this. He goes, Paul had just written in Romans 5.20, and Paul had wrote this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, and they jumped on that as a license to drive fast. The more we sin, the more grace we get. And so the question was bound to arise, why not continue in sin so the greatness of God's grace may be seen more fully? Now, oftentimes when you're counseling with people in ministry and they've been stuck in a, in a life of addiction or, you know what, all addiction doesn't have to be chemical, right? It can be anything else permissible that you get into whereby uh, you put Jesus on the back burner or you don't know the Lord at all. But when we're counseling them, you often find them when they're ready to receive truth at the very bottom, hopeless, grasping, and you come and you say, you have to understand that the majesty and the, and the greatness of Jesus is that even in your sin, where it goes deep, Jesus goes deeper still, right? And, and you are never too far gone that Jesus can't reach you because darkness will never overcome light. That's where that whole Sin abounds, grace does much more abound comes into play when you're trying to preach to someone or lead someone to Jesus or talk to a Christian brother or sister who's been so permissive in their life, they don't know where they are now because they're so turned around. And you have to understand, you can't out the grace of God. So, but that's not saying that, well, if you want revival in your life, just go turn into a hellion and live like that and then Jesus will give you more grace and then everything will be great. That's no, but that's what, some of the people try to say. So the question, as Weiss is in green, may have arisen from antinomian or no law against law sources that purposefully misconstrued the doctrine of justification by faith as providing an excuse for a sinful lifestyle. And we actually see that today. It is used all the time to prop up a church wanting to embrace all of these heinous ideologies over here. All the time. So it's not a, so what Paul was dealing with then, we deal with today. 
Robert Mounts goes on to write, Against, against such a perverted inference, was W. Barclay writes, How despicable it would be for a son to consider himself free to sin because he knew that his father would forgive him. Well, I'm going to just do whatever I, my dad doesn't want me to do because the more I do it, the more he's just going to forgive me and love me anyway. And, and I want to say something for the record here. Uh, in Baptist life, and, and it's not strictly limited to Baptist. But we, we believe, and, and again, this is a biblical doctrine. When you're saved, genuinely saved and born again of the Spirit of God, you are preserved by the Spirit of God. It's not of works. Totally of grace. You didn't earn it. You can't keep it. He does. It's all Him. This goes back, for those who are in Sunday school class, to the Abrahamic covenant that God keeps himself. It wasn't dependent upon Abraham. It's dependent upon God and his faithfulness. Well, so we have a phrase, once saved, always saved. Ever heard that? Everyone heard that? I, that was probably one of the first phrases I ever heard when I was growing in Christianity. What does that mean? And a lot of people take great issue with that. Now, I want to say this. It's a true statement. Once you're genuinely born again, you will stay genuinely born again. But it's, it's a falsehood if you can say, well, I can do whatever I want. I've been saved, man. I can live like I want. Jesus paid it all. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Then I doubt you've even been to Jesus. Because if you have been to Christ, you don't want that anymore. And, and when you do stumble, and we do, and Paul talks about that later in the book and we're going to get into, when you do, you hate it. Do you hate your sin when you sin as a Christian? You do, you hate it. You hate it. But if, but if you don't hate it, and you can be flippant to say, well, you know, once saved, always saved, then shut up, <laughs> okay? Because that's not true in that case. You don't understand grace. You don't understand justification. You don't understand what you're saying. You are driving that same bus that they were driving when Paul said, so, are you, so we should sin that grace may abound? No, certainly not. Equally possible is that the question stemmed from conscientious Jews who felt that the doctrine of salvation by faith alone would encourage moral irresponsibility. And you know what? I can see how they might be so concerned. Because imagine being a Jew in the first century, having kept strictly or trying to keep the moral and ceremonial law of the Mosaic Covenant, being pulled into the new covenant of Christ, and then trying to learn and trust grace. That's, that's moving from two different vehicles. Okay, That's going from... From one of your fancy, well, your motorcycle brother to a moped. Okay? Wow. I don't know which would be, that we could play out that analogy, but, okay. So, but it would be hard. And so they were concerned that, well, if all you do is tell people that they just need Jesus only, that He is alone and sufficient to save, and, and that they're not expected to perform, they're probably just going to do whatever they want. And again, not if you've met the Lord. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You're going to want to do my commandments. You're going to love the things God loves. You're going to hate the things God hates. And in, in the red, and I don't know if you can see it, maybe you can. Although the second group questioned the teaching for fear of what it might be or what it might do, which is license. They didn't want people to have this just license. The first group embraced the doctrine for what they felt it would allow them to do, freedom to do whatever they wanted. And we see that a lot today. So have you considered the implications then of your death? What a, what a strange question. If you're here and you know Jesus, you've been born again. This is not playing around. Have you considered the implications of your death in Christ? That's what I'm talking about. In Romans chapter 6 verse 2, Paul writes, How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? To help illustrate that, you have to use some of the language. And so the Greek aorist past tense verb died suggests a specific point when the action occurred. There's a point where it occurred. And here's the other part of it. It means that when it occurred, that response, that result, is from now on. So, from heaven's point of view, when you're dead in Christ, that's how God sees you. You are dead in Christ. Now, here we'll develop to see how this makes a difference. Death whether physical or spiritual, means separation, not extinction. Death to sin is a separation from sin's power, not the extinction of sin. You're not going to stop sinning as a Christian. You will become hyper-aware of it. Okay? Will you not? And I'm going to go ahead and say right here at risk of further controversy, just defer that to the elders. And, and, and you can debate me on it. It's nothing to debate, but I think you'll understand the spirit in which I say it. This, this notion of free will that we often hear so much about, especially coming from the world point of view. We don't really, I believe, fully possess that freedom to choose between right and wrong until we actually know it. When we're in Christ, suddenly... I've been, I've been doing that? Oh, why? Okay, and how did I do that before? And how did I read that before? And how did I hang out with that group before? And why did I do that? Because your eyes have been opened. And now your will is set free. You see what sin is. And you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And then we get into the struggle, which we'll get into here later. But Paul asks a question. Since you've died to sin, how do you live in it? Set free, not extinction, set free. That being true, Paul asks, how can they live in it any longer? Obviously, believers cannot live in sin if they died to it. So, if you're a Christian here and you're struggling under sin, here's how this makes a difference. You are not bound to sin anymore without a conscious deliverer and, and, and matter of ministry of the Holy Spirit 
who has already unchained you from it. You do not have to continue. You don't. If, if I were to hook you up to the back of my moped, because well, I don't have a truck, so I've got I to use that. But I were to hook you up on a 20-foot rope, and I was to take off with that moped, it'd probably fall over. No, I would, I would take off, okay, and you would come with me, theoretically. You would have no choice. Why? Because you're bound to it. You are bound to it. But when you're dead in Christ, that rope has been severed. That moped of sin can take off, but you don't have to go. Now, you can say, hey, and you run along. Why? And people go, why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. You literally don't have to go. Now, sometimes we go. Sometimes we, you know, sometimes we chase the moped of sin. That's going to be a different thing to ride that down the road now. Okay, I've got to get a sticker for it. Living analogy, the moped of sin. But what I'm trying to say is you, you're not bound. You don't have to anymore. And with each temptation that is presented, God gives a way of escape. Learn to listen. Next, here's an example. In Romans 6, 6, just a few verses below. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. So now we're talking about our old man. Now I've skipped some stuff here about baptism. But you won't understand the baptism unless you understand the death. you got to get the death right. What a weird subject. Our old man was crucified with him. With him. We were joined with We joined him in crucifixion. We're nailed to it too. That the body of sin might be done away with. That doesn't mean that you will stop sinning and be sinless. That's not what that means. That means that you are no longer chained to sin and that's all you can do. You've been free. When we confess Christ, we are joined into His death on the cross. We were crucified in order that our sinful nature might be stripped of its power. In Romans 6.14, it actually says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And by the way, as I did some research on this, the word for dominion means that it shall not dominate you. Sin shall not dominate you anymore, just like it does not have dominion over Jesus. And you can count on the fact that sin does not have dominion over Jesus. Well, just as it doesn't over Jesus, because of Jesus, because you died in Christ, because you've been crucified with Christ, it no longer has the same amount of no dominion over you either. So you remember that. When you find yourself going down a wrong road as a Christian, and you're stumbling in many things, you're actually willfully choosing to chase down the moped of sin. Why? Why? Why do we do that? Well, we'll find out later. These words are to be understood as a promise that is valid for every believer at the present time. Sin shall certainly not be your Lord now or ever. And I think that is one of the most beautiful implications of dying in Christ, don't you? Number two. 
Likewise, it says you shall reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. The word reckon here is a accounting term. If any of you are into accounting, good for you and not me. Okay, but it is a it is a word. It's kind of hard to translate, but here's kind of what it means. If you take a sum, if you take a sum of of figures, you know, in a in a column, and you add them all up and surmise all the information and get down to the final data, that's reckoning. That's reckoning. That's what it means. So reckon then, or figure in, or count yourself. The summation of all that Jesus has done and your death in Him. Reckon yourself too to be dead to sin because that's what it comes out. That's what it, that's what it come out. It comes out to. That's what the books show. That's that's how the numbers add up right there. Reckoning does not create the fact of union with Christ, but makes it operative in one's life. Your You're dying in Christ because you know Jesus is an operative thing. Jesus is now alive in you because it says you've been made alive to God in Christ. You are dead. The rope is cut to sin. The charge to count oneself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus is the present tense Indicating a necessity to keep up the process if one is to avoid reactivating the body of sin. So I want to say that on this point. Sanctification, if I can get this out to you, is a monergistic work of God. (laughs) Mono means one. Ergo in Greek means work or energy. So it's a one working. Monergistic means one working. Sanctification, after justification, which is also monergistic, okay? God working, He saves you. You don't decide, He comes to you. Sanctification is, God is cleaning you up. So, sanctification is a monergistic work of God. It's, it's, it's initiated by Him. It's actually promised by Him. It is promised to be fulfilled by Him. But interestingly enough, there's a component to this thing called sanctification of willful, willful partnership at this point. You're joining Him in it. You're not a passive participant as if you get on the back of my moped. You're going to go where I go. And we're going to look really dumb as we go. Okay? <laughs> we are really... It's, uh, yeah, as Cody rode on the back of my moped with me in the parking lot, that was creepy, wasn't it? Yeah, well... <laughs> We'll never do that again. <laughs> but in sanctification, you know, remember I was talking about how that sin nature is, is it's no longer bound to us, but it's not extinct, right? Well, God is initiating us to grow in holiness, but we still like certain music or drinks or people or whatevers, Right? And, and, and God is making you sensitive to this and He's initiating a cleaning of your life because sanctification is making you look like Jesus. So He's initiating you to know, don't partake in that anymore. No, that needs to go. You need to bring this on. More Bible study, more prayer, be involved in faithful in church, keep the Lord's day holy, being a witness for 
Christ in your workplace, loving the people that are unlovely, forgiving folks, all that kind of stuff. Jesus, the Lord, initiates this, and now you're left with this. Uh, this is where your free will comes in. Yeah, I need to do that, but uh, struggling. <laughs> and that's why it's a lifelong process. But you are not passive. You are not passive. And that's, that's what that means. Galatians 2.20 is a beautiful, beautiful verse. And uh, I often quote it in my head, but because I'm afraid I'll get it wrong, I'm going to go ahead and read it. I have been crucified with Christ. That is a true statement. If you're in Jesus, you have. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's a true statement. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. And then he goes on to say, I do not set aside the grace of God because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain and there'll never be a point in my sanctification when I won't need the same amount of mercy and faith that saved me to keep me being saved and to grow to look like Jesus. I still need that same amount of gospel power to do it. Still the same. And third, and we're almost finished, in 1 Peter 2.24, and I like the NLT version on this. He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, you are healed. Jesus' death makes it a realized possibility for believers to be free from the power of sin. I want you to take away from today this idea, this very real biblical fact that if you're in Jesus, as much as you may be struggling, you are no longer bound. You have freedom. Do not chase the moped. The text does not say that sin dies to the believer. It is the believer who has died to sin. Origen, the most influential theologian of the Antonician period, described death to sin this way. And I like what he said. Death to sin, he described it this way. To obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin. But not to obey the the cravings of sin or succumb to its will. This is to die to sin. And every time you fight that battle, And you go to the Lord and you say, I'm struggling in this. You're fighting that battle. You're dying to sin. You've died and you're dying. Okay? That's what it is. And that's a a lifetime thing. So, don't ever think you're ever going to get mature enough, good enough, that you you can lose the training wheels. Keep them close. Okay? Keep them close. You could fall over any time. I like how this was said too. Christ's death for sin becomes our death to sin. Realized fact. Sin lies on the other side of the grave for those who have in Christ died to it. Paul asked incredulously, how can we who have died to sin, and I like how he put this, breathe its air again? So when you choose To put the world first before Jesus, you're breathing its air again. Yeah, go sniff on that carcass, don't you? Live next to a dairy, just whiff it, take it in. 
Big draws, okay? Especially at night when they put out the green water. That's rough. Breathe it in. When, when, when you choose to put everything else of the world before your walk with Christ Jesus, that's what you're doing. Go get a big old gallon jug of that green nasty water and drink it on down. Because that's what you're doing. And the sadness of it all is you don't have to. You're not chained. You're not like a puppet on a string. and You're not. There's no strings. This is where we get into the baptism issue. Next week, to be baptized into Christ is to be baptized into His death. Okay? I like what the 1689 London Baptist Confession says on this, and I think you will too. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with Him in His death and resurrection. Of their being grafted into Him. Of remission of sins and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life, which is sanctification. It's the sanctification of life. But back in 6-2, where Paul asked the question, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In light of the revealed Word of God concerning how God views us who have been crucified with Christ, the question remains, how shall we live any longer under the yoke of sin? And we have to say it declaratively again, there is no yoke. I don't know if I spelled that right. I hope I did. But there's no yoke of sin. There's no chain on you. You're not bound anymore. So if you sit down today on the Lord's Day and you choose to indulge yourself in a, in a rated R show full of filth and profanity and sexual perversion, just know this. You can't say, well, that's just my flesh. I can't help it. You can help it. You're not bound. You don't. No one's putting a gun to your head saying, do this. You're chasing the moped. So the bigger question isn't, how can I keep watching it? The question is this, why do I want to? That's the question. Why do I want to? Oh, Lord Jesus, why do I want to? John eight thirty six. we've been set free. Remember this, if you're in that position today. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That means you're free. There's no fine print. There's no, uh-oh, come back later and check again. You're free. You're not bound. So glorify God in your body, in your life. And everything in your life your entertainment choices, your conversation with people, your complaints at the gas pump. Do you, do we seek, do we desire to show Christ in it all? Do you offer up to the Lord's Lordship what you do and when you do it? Do you? Because that is the essence of the death of Christ.
You are you're dead. And he lives through you. Now, show it. That's what, that's what this is about today. And a good first place to start is praying together.